Welcome to the 280th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today we are recording on April 17th, 2022. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and 50% of this here show with me is the man who's looking somewhat familiar, Corey Motley. Hello, Brad. It is indeed me. It's good to be back. It is indeed you, sir. Welcome back. It is such a pleasure to have you here on the show. What in the world are you doing here? Well, I was uh, beckoned out of retirement, not only to recently do a new review for Game Critics, but to guest star on the show. And uh, I'm happy to be back. It's nice to talk to you. Although, I don't know if the audience knows this, because I haven't been on the show for a long time, but... I would like to state that even though I don't record the podcast with you weekly anymore, you and I are messaging on Twitter at least once a week. So you and I still keep up with each other very well. We just haven't talked, talked in a long time. And it's really nice to sit down and talk to you. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yes, we do have a connection. We are still friends. I know that whenever someone leaves a podcast, everyone wants there to be drama, but there is no drama. We just went on different paths for a while, but you know, we're still, we're still good buddies. And because of that, as proof of that, you are here back on the show. Thank you so much for stepping in. Uh, people who are listening, regular listeners are probably a little bit confused right now. Carlos, you know, as we know, he went on a, uh, a tour, a tour of self-discovery uh, a while ago. He came back with a lot of STDs, really just oh, riddled, no. riddled with STDs. We thought he pulled through. He was on mega doses of antibiotics. He had some kind of like covid medication in his system he had all sorts of horse tranquilizers i don't know what and we thought he was fine and then last week he just had this really serious relapse so buddy i hope your dick don't fall off rest up carlos we will see you back next week in the meantime Corey motley who better to take the seat than the man who built the seat in the first place <laughs> welcome back sir thank you thank you it's good to be back uh carlos i send you my best wishes i hope your wiener is okay and that you come out of this in one piece I bet he wishes that, too. All right, best of luck to Carlos. He'll be back next week. In the meantime, it's me, it's you, just like the old days. Here we go. All right, let's get right to it. I know that people who listen to the show don't like a lot of preamble, so here we go. Um, as regular listeners know, Carlos and I share a virtual living space divided down the middle with a strip of duct tape. Uh, he's not here right now. He's in the hospital. He's getting pumped with all his antibiotics, <laughs> some kind of like experimental like you know, white blood cell treatment. Uh, so I guess you're taking up his half of the house this week, uh, Corey. Uh, in lieu of Carlos's housekeeping, what kind of housekeeping does Corey have? What's on your plate this week, sir? Oh, what is on? What is not on my plate is really the question here. Um, are we okay? So is this like? Can I talk about anything right now? Is that the? It rules? can be anything you want. It's usually you know usually me and Carlos default to TV and movies, but it could be food it could be life it could be it could be other games that are not in the agenda it could be anything anything you want okay well well just to really bring it back to the days of you and i podcasting the days of your i have seen not one but two new movies recently i'm the one bringing movie talk to the show right now what a surprise oh man are you going to the theater like are you like breathing in the covid and stuff in the theater or what are you doing i one of them i saw in the theater one of them i watched right on my bed which you can see behind me last night okay um, okay i have been going to the theater not regularly but maybe like once every couple of months uh okay maybe since like the beginning of the year 
I still wear my mask in the theater. I do not take it off. I are already like even in non-COVID times, I don't eat food in the theater. I don't drink anything. I when I go to the theater, I want to stay focused on the movie and not be like getting popcorn and getting my drink. So right, having right. the mask really isn't an issue for me because I'm not eating anything. Um so I'm masking up, but I've seen um I wanna say that one of these movies might be one that you really like and i would like to discuss a little bit it was the movie that i watched last night from the comfort of my bed um i watched train to busan last night for the first oh i love train to busan i love it did you oh man did you like it i thought it was fine (laughs) (laughs) a very cory answer it is good to have you back sir yes well so this is um so a spoiler alert for people listening to the show, I've been dating somebody as of late and he is into zombie movies. And so when I think of zombie movies, there's like maybe a handful of movies that come to mind that are like the best of all time. Like I would say maybe like Night of the Living Dead. Um, I personally consider Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, like one of the, I think that's like the best movie he's ever made. And that was like one of his first like big movies. Um, but then Train of Busan, I know it only came out in 2016. It's pretty recent. But um, that, like, I remember that coming out and everybody being like, oh, my God, this is, like, revolutionary. It's such a great yeah. zombie movie. And I think at the time, it's a South Korean film. And it is, I think it's, like, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think at the time, there wasn't really a lot of, like, Korean cinema like that. So it was kind of like, oh, wow, like, they're doing a new thing with a zombie movie, kind of an action-heavy movie. Um, and so finally, finally, you know, I put two and two together. My partner likes uh, zombie movies. Um, I hadn't seen Train to Busan. He had seen it before. So we talked about it. And like right before we started watching it last night, he was like, oh, I'm just like, I just want to know, like, why are you interested in watching this movie? And I was like, oh, because I've heard it's like, like one of the best, like one of the greats, like zombie movies, especially like contemporary zombies. And he, he looks at me and he was like, well, it's just like, it's fine. And I was like, what? Like, I thought this was supposed to be like the best zombie movie ever. And so we sit down and watch it. And as soon as it ended, I was like, yeah, it was just fine. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, and he was like, yeah, I told you. And I was like, you should have told me earlier when I like first brought it up. And I was trying to explain to him, like, um, this is the problem, not the problem, but like a thing that comes up with like internet culture where a movie and this isn't the movie's fault it's not anybody's fault perhaps my fault um you know something new a new video game tv movie whatever will come out and everybody's like oh my god this is great this is great and then the hype levels are just like 12 out of 10 and then by the time you finally get around to seeing it you're like okay yeah that was like pretty good but like i didn't like i thought it was fine but it was just kind of like a like it was like just a zombie movie but on a train like it was so full of the tropes of like Everybody makes dumb decisions. You don't really get to know any of the characters that well in the movie, except for like the lead guy and his daughter. Um, there's like kind of like the corporate bad guy, and he's just basically like there to be an asshole the whole movie, but you don't really like learn anything about him. And sure. I don't know, by the time it was over, I was just like, okay, like the, I, I guess I'm glad I watched that, but I would pro I would never watch it again. I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it to anybody, but I don't know. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, this big, like, oh, zombie movie, like, I've never seen before. And I finished it, and I was like, oh, that was it? Like, and on the plus (laughs) side, I I watched it for free on YouTube and on Vudu slash Movies Anywhere. It's free with ads, so, like, I didn't pay for it, so Mm -hmm. um, that's something. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it was fine, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think it's great. I love that movie, actually. I think it's um, a really good one. And I think the thing that... 
why I love it so much is number one, I mean, I think the South Korean um, style just really works well. I mean, I've been getting into a lot of South Korean um, TV and movies lately, you know, and I think that when, when Busan came out, that was like, I, I feel like maybe you're correct. Like it was right before the Korean stuff really broke big, like before Squid Game or before like any of that stuff that people are really into right now. So that was part of it. I think just like part of it being the novelty of it being set in a completely different culture while also following a lot of the same tropes, a lot of the same recognizable beats. I think it moves along really well. I think it's really well paced. I mean, I think it, it's a very like well done classic zombie movie and that it checks all the boxes in a really satisfying way. I mean, it's maybe like a little bit too long and I think maybe the ending could have been slightly different, but I think overall really good. It's just like a very well, like, like when I want, like, it's like, it's like when you go to McDonald's, right? It's like, you're not going to McDonald's because you want a gourmet piece of steak. Like you want a burger and you want it to check the burger box. And as long as it's, you know, like, you know what you're getting. Right. And it, to me, Train to Busan is like the perfect, like, yeah, when I'm in the mood for a zombie movie, it, this is exactly what I want. Creepy zombies, like, you know, a little bit of tension, the kind of character tropes that you're looking for. Like it just, it just does everything perfectly. Like, I don't think it's revolutionary. Although to be honest, I'm not really sure how you would even revolutionize the zombie genre these days i mean i feel like we've had slow zombies we've had fast zombies we've had horde zombies we've had romance zombies we've had comedy i mean like i don't even know what even the next step is for zombie movies so i don't really look at this as, as, as like pushing boundaries but just like really well done like it's like it's like the, the delicious normal tasty burger where it's not going to blow your mind but it's totally satisfying for what it is right does it make sense yeah that makes perfect sense um when you said romance zombies i had to think about that for a second but that movie warm bodies came out like 10 years ago yeah. and i watched part of it and i was like wow this is really fucking stupid and i did not finish it um <laughs> but i don't know and like listeners who might remember me from before i'm not a big huge super movie guy like i do like movies but my whole thing is like i'll go to a theater to see a movie if i really like it I will buy it on Blu-ray when it comes out and then it will just enter my rotation of like 15 movies that I just kind of watch over and over again. Um, this one will not enter the rotation for me, but it is just like, it is a perfectly palatable zombie movie on a train. Um, I think just because of the hype levels I had heard about it, I was like, this is going to be like this is the most incredible zombie movie. And it was just a zombie movie on a train. I do think it's funny that, the movie is called Train to Busan. They don't get on the train to Busan until like an hour into this two-hour movie. And that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing my mom would say that I would get mad at her for criticizing a movie for. But I was like, wow, it's they're an hour in and they're just oh, now getting boy, on the you're train. Coming, <laughs> you're coming full circle, sir. You are you are becoming your mom, it seems like there. Yikes. I think we're all doing that as we get in our old age here. So oh so quick tangent. Just out of curiosity, um, I'm not the kind of person who watches movies over and over and over. I mean, I I don't have a lot of free time and I try to play games when I get a chance. And I've got a lot of like, you know, real life stuff going on. But, you know, I have a couple favorite movies where if they're on that, I'll watch them no matter what. What is in your your 15 rotational movies? Just give us a couple there. What's what's your uh, favorites currently? OK, so this is. I'm not trying to like I hope none of this sounds pretentious or weird but these are just like sometimes I will put movies on when I'm like editing photos like I'll have movie on one monitor or and we can discuss this way later if we want to I have been like watching movies while playing video games lately which is a little weird um but some of the movies that I have in my rotation are um I really like, I mean, Casino Royale, the James Bond movie, I think one of the best movies ever made. Um, I also controversially really like Quantum of Solace, the sequel. The first time I watched it, I did not like it. The second time I watched it, I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, this is great. Um, I really like uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the David Fincher one. Um, 
live, what is it called? Live, die, repeat edge of tomorrow with Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, love right, that movie. Yeah. That movie, uh, is just the best. Um, I feel like I'm leaving out some that I know I really, that I like watching. I've been um, like an example of a movie that I watched earlier this year that I bought when it came out was Black Widow. I don't think Black Widow is like the best Marvel movie or whatever, but it's just because it falls into that category of like women kicking ass that I like, which also brings me to like Atomic Blonde is one of my favorite movies. That's an easy one to put on while I'm watching. Um, I know there's a few more, but those are a handful that just kind of like I, when I buy a Blu-ray, it comes with like the digital code. I'll put it in iTunes or whatever. And then I can just like watch it on my computer while I'm doing work or whatever. Those are a handful that I always come back to. All right. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Cool. Cool. I mean, as for me, I mean, like I said, I don't watch a lot of uh, movies in general and I definitely don't watch a lot of repeats, but I will say, um, you know, uh, probably more pedestrian uh, compared to your taste, I guess. But like if, uh, Big Trouble in Little China ever comes on. Like I just I stop what I'm doing. It's not my favorite movie of all time, so I got to watch that one all the way through. Uh, Pacific Rim. Like if the Pacific Rim's on, like the first one, I'll just I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll watch that. Like and I won't I won't mean to right. Like I'll be like oh I'm just gonna watch for five seconds because I know that the big guy's gonna get his ass kicked in a minute. And then I watch this and the next thing you know I'm on the couch and it's like two hours later. So. Anyway, all right. What else? Uh, what else you got to talk about for housekeeping? It could be anything. Could be nothing. You got anything else you want to uh, clear out of your side here? Well, I did. Um, we don't. I don't know. We don't have to talk about this much because I don't think it's good to spoil it. But I did see. Um, what is it? Oh yeah, the other called? movie. What was the other movie? Yeah, it was um, Everything Everywhere All at Once with Michelle Yeoh. Oh um, man, I really. Re- I was actually just talking about this movie today, um, and it was with someone on Twitter. I'm not going to say their name just in case they don't want to be, you know, any attention brought to them. <laughs> but they were they were saying, you know. People were, were, were kind of like making the case that like indie movies don't have a place at theater anymore or people don't want that kind of content. And um, this person and I both disagreed with that. And I think that we are both really leery of going to the theater. Like, I, I just don't think I'll ever go to the theater again, like as far as I live, because I just I just don't want to do that anymore because of COVID. Like, I've been like super traumatized and like, I, you know, I don't trust people to take care of their own health and I don't trust them to take care of mine. So I'm just like all about streaming these days. And if that movie was streamable, we would have already watched it. We would have already podcasted about it. I'm very excited. Um, but because it's not streaming, I think probably a lot of people who are very interested in that film, who would like to see it, just haven't had a chance yet. So I don't think it is a commentary about people not wanting that content. I think it's a commentary about people are scared as fuck to go to the theater and no one wants to do it anymore. Not to mention, not to mention, um, with me and my wife and my son, anytime that we went to the theater, like a minimum of a hundred bucks, right? Because tickets, if you're not going to matinee, then you're going to pay regular, you know, regular price. Anybody wants a candy bar, anybody wants a soda, anybody wants popcorn. I like by the time that you do like parking, if you have to pay for parking, sometimes you do here in Seattle, movie, snack. It's like it's like a hundred fucking bucks, like every single time, minimum hundred bucks. So for us to like stay home where I can pay twenty dollars to download something, make whatever fucking food I want, pause it and go to the bathroom as much as I want, because I love to pee. I mean, <laughs> yeah, man, I don't ever want to go to the theater again, dude. And I save myself eighty bucks on top of that. So for me, it's like there's no incentive to go back. Anyway, I do want to hear all about this movie. Is it amazing? How is it? I thought it was incredible. And here, see, this is where it's going to come full circle for me because I'm going to be like, oh, my God, this is the best movie. And then somebody's going to see it and be like, uh, it was fine. But I'll watch I, it and it was like, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, I, but I don't know how someone could watch this movie and just think it's fine. But I will give the barest synopsis that I can. Um, no spoilers, no spoilers. No spoilers. It is about uh, Michelle Yeoh, who is like Malaysian action, Hong Kong cinema martial I mean, 
amazing. Superstar. She's like she, movie goddess. She's, she's like incredible. The um, best. This is like she is. I want to say in like her fifties at this point, and uh, she, this is like oddly kind of like her dramatic breakout role in an American movie because she's always kind of like the martial arts lady or like the mean auntie or somebody which you know she's made a wonder just a legendary career for herself but this movie she plays evelyn she is married has a daughter who's like 17 or 18 um they are an immigrant family from china and they are running a laundromat that is like sort of in the ground level of their house they go like up some stairs and their house is above the laundromat and the movie at its base, baseline, baseline is about her trying to do her taxes after the year. Um, after, and she goes to the, like, she gets audited by the IRS. Her family goes into the IRS offices. And none other than Jamie Lee Curtis, also legendary oh, actress. Yeah, she's the IRS auditor. And she's just, oh, I mean, funny. everybody's phenomenal in this movie. Um, but throughout the audit, um, Michelle Yeoh gets pulled into this, like, it, it's essentially like a multiverse. Like, she discovers through one way or another that there's like all these different timelines out there of like every decision that anyone can make that she has made over the course of her life. There's like a branching um, sort of like mirror universe. And so she has to like channel these mirror universes to stop this, like the big bad, if you will, that's kind of coming after her. Um, And it's sad. It's like, it's just like such a movie. Like it's dramatic. It's sad. It's got a lot of action. It's really funny, a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. It really showcases Michelle Yeoh as like a dramatic and funny actress, but she can also like roundhouse kick you in the face. Like she, it just really like, runs the gamut and it shows like because she kind of explores these multiverse scenarios like you know she's just uh, a laundromat owner immigrant in one and she's like a hollywood actress in another and like a chef like a like a teppanyaki chef in another and it's just cool to see she like channels the skills from those different universes into like the universe she's in in order to figure out what's going on and it's like surprisingly uh, like really touching in some parts. Like I almost cried a few times because there's like a lot, a lot of like dramatic stuff and a lot of action. But it's uh, it's really something. It's a wonderful movie, and I would highly recommend it. If that sounds interesting to anybody listening, highly, highly recommend it. That's awesome. I've been hearing nothing but good things. Everybody I've talked to has said it's great. I'm very excited. I'm a big fan of Michelle Yeoh. I mean, from like a million years ago, I've seen tons of her movies. A lot of. Uh, I mean, of course, I think I've seen everything she's been in here in America, but she's done like a jillion like, you know, Asian movies. And as well, when I was doing a lot of like import cinema, I would watch a lot of her movies. I'm a big fan. So definitely a fan of her, a fan of women who are over 20 getting like strong roles in Hollywood. (laughs) I mean, that's fucking amazing as well. Uh, Life continues for women after 20. So confirm on that. Um, So, yeah, as soon as it's available for streaming, I'm all over that. And I'm very, very excited. So thank you very much for sharing there. Uh, Let me take over for a minute here. I just want to give a quick shout out to dark side detective uh the sequel sequel dark side detective a fumble in the dark have you ever played dark side detective Corey? it was on switch it's on pc um not sure if it's on any other platform i have not but i specifically remember you talking about this way back when we podcasted before and i'm pretty sure i put it on my switch like wish list in the in the switch store however i have a friend of mine he's been i like never sorry everybody i never play my switch so i've been letting a friend borrow it for like I don't know. He's been borrowing it for like three months, but I have it on my wish list, and like maybe I'll get around to buying it someday. But I do remember you talking about it so much so that I put it on my wish list because it sounded interesting. 
Yeah, I love Dark Side Detective. It's a point-and-click 2D indie adventure game. I remember you saying um, it's very funny. It's very funny, and it's very simplified and straightforward, where it avoids most of the, the problems that the genre has, like the really like absurd moon logic puzzles or like really <laughs> convoluted like point-and-click, like pixel-hunting stuff. I mean, it avoids all those. It's really light. It's really breezy. It's really funny. It's fast-moving. I really love Dark Side Detective. I kickstarted the sequel. Uh, and they sent me a code a while ago. Nice. Um, so they just uh, released their second piece of free DLC. So if you bought the base game uh, of A Fumble in the Dark, you've already, by now, you've got the base game plus two extra cases that are uh, loaded in. They're all just kind of episodic, which I think is great. So just wanted to give people a heads up. If you haven't played Dark Side Detective, there's the first game, there's the second game. Um, both games have free DLC, which enhances the, the play value, a couple extra cases. And there's, it's just it's just really fun. A lot of good laughs. It's really hard to do humor in games well, and I feel like these guys really nail it. And I just, it's also like one of my favorite point and click adventure games of all time, just because of how well produced it is. I think it's just a joy to play, and I love how it doesn't bother with any of the bullshit that the genre gets trapped in. So, um, just heads up Dark Side Detective has new DLC. Pick up the game, get the DLC for free. It is worth your time. It is definitely a thumbs up for me. That's all I have this week. Um, anything else for me, Corey, before we move on to the main portion of the show? Um, well, I mean, I have like, a million things I can talk about, but for the sake of our time and sanity, I am happy to segue into the meat of the show. All right, let's do it. Let's just get on with the main portion of episode 280. We're going to keep it with you for right now, sir. Uh, you are going to start us off with Far Changing Tides. Now, I have not played this. I, I want to say that it's on Xbox Game Pass. Do you know if that's correct? It is. I, or at least I saw comments on a YouTube video saying it was on Game Pass. Okay, confirmed source. It is on Xbox Game Pass. Um, I don't know anything about this other than it's from the people who made Far Lone Sales. That came out a couple years ago. And that was, I mean, that was one of my favorite indie games to come out for quite some time. I loved Lone Sales. It was definitely in my top 10 the year it came out. And I just, everything about it I thought was just really, really awesome. Really loved it. Um, so I was excited when I heard that they were doing a sequel. Although I will be perfectly honest. Um, I feel like Lone Sales was kind of like an all-in-one experience where had a beginning, had a middle, had an end. It told a complete story. I felt very satisfied by the time it wrapped. And to be honest, even though I loved it and I still love it, I didn't really feel like there was really anywhere else for it to go. So I was kind of surprised, not that the developers made another game, I expected them to, but that they made one that was kind of like a sequel and it seemed really similar to the first one. So that's all I really know about it. Although I, you, Corey, came out of retirement to review this game formally at Game Critics. That review is up right now, folks, if you want to read it. Um, but since we're all here, we're I mean, hey, here. why don't we talk about it a little bit, right? Corey, what were your thoughts on Far Changing Tides? Yeah, so I did uh, come out of retirement for this game. I think it's been like a year since I've reviewed something for Game Critics. It might have been Hitman 3. And uh, I'm still paying attention to your emails, though. I look at probably like every other email you send out, check and see if there's anything interesting going on. And um, far changing tides. Like I, I'm pretty sure you and I talked about loan sales on the show. Like I think it came out in 2018. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we both really liked it. It's just this nice, like just to set the scene for anybody who doesn't know what it is. You play as this like tiny little character, um, on a big, this like vast open kind of post-apocalyptic almost landscape. You get in its side scroller, you get in this truck that has these wind sails on the top. And there's like these buttons. It's a little, it reminds me a little bit of um, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time because it's a similar thing yeah. where you're kind of like, it's not as complex as that, but you're like 
running around the track a little bit. You're pressing switches to get the track moving. You're like adjusting the sails to catch the winds to make it move faster. Um, but it's overall, it's just this very like it's low on narrative. There's not a spoken word in the game. I don't think there's a there's a picture. I don't think there's a word written on the screen ever, other than maybe so, no. press A to jump or something. But um, very kind of meditative. Like once you get that truck running you can just kind of sit back and like it's the art design is gorgeous and you can just look at it and it's pretty. The music Joel shock score is incredible. It's very like clarinet heavy orchestra and the game does a really good job of like once the truck builds momentum, the music will kind of start booming as you get moving. It's really, really well done into the integrated into the game. Um, Really loved it. So when the new one came around, I, uh, you know, came out of retirement. I wanted to pick the game up and try it. And uh, I actually played the first, because the first one's only like maybe two and a half max hours. And I played the first one all over again because it had been a while. I wanted to, you know, see, because sometimes, you know, you look back on a game and nostalgia says it was amazing. And then you play it again and you're like, okay, actually it wasn't. I can confirm that the, the first one is good. It is not just nostalgia. I played it again like a month ago. Still great. Um Started up the second one, and the second one, it's interesting because it starts with a character, I couldn't tell if the character was the same from the first or if it's a new character. It's kind of irrelevant, but maybe that's worth noting. But it's a very similar setup. However, in the first one, the game starts with your character, like, swimming. And when, like, and the camera cuts under the water because it's still a side-scroller, you're doing, like, side-scrolling swimming. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting, like... Are they going to build it? It reminded me a little bit of Inside because there's a lot of swimming sections in that that are kind of moody. I was like, oh, is it going to like capitalize on this new? Is this going to be the new thing for the game? It's like swimming. And you even get this cute little like diving helmet so you can swim underwater for eternity. There is, as far as I know, there is no death state in this game. So it's not an action game. It's not, you know, like you're not fighting people or, you know, chasing away wolves or whatever. Um, the only save state is you getting stuck, which I will <laughs> get to in a minute. Um but it's a lot of the same stuff you get instead of being on a truck on the road and changing tides, which I mean, the game's called changing tides. So it might make you think it's about water. Well, surprise, it's about water. Um, you're on a boat that's on top of the water. You have the same sails, um, not the same, but it's similar buttons and switches on the inside. Like the, the foundation of the game is very similar. However, when I first started playing changing tides, I found toward the beginning and this carried throughout, I found that this game is a lot more tedious and labor intensive than the first one. The first one's a good meditative, you know, there's still a little challenge to it. And like you get stopped at certain places, you have to get out of the truck and go solve a little puzzle. You get like an upgrade for your truck. It's the same thing with this one. You get stopped at places. You have to like climb some ladders and figure out a thing. You get an upgrade for your little boat. Um, But this one, there's like more switches on the inside. There's just more, um, like square footage that you have to run around in and even just getting the sails active you have to like climb up two ladders to get on top of the ship you have to press a switch that makes the the sail come up then you have to jump on the ladder climb all the way up the sail grab a hook jump down hook the sail to make it come open and then you get a switch that activates left to right and you when the wind is blowing you have to keep moving the switch in order to keep the sail in the sweet spot so that it makes you go faster and it's like that's too in my opinion that's too many things to do just to activate one sail on your ship 
Not only are you doing that, you have to feed trash into the engine in order to make it to keep like fuel in it. You have to jump on this little panel over and over to like you have to heat. It's kind of like heating up the engine in order to get it going. If the engine overheats, you have to go grab the water hose and drag it over and like pour it on the the engine to cool it down. There's just like there's so many things going on that as I was playing it, I was like, man, I was really hoping this was just going to be a laid back meditative experience just like the first one and i do think this game is good i don't think it's like it's not the shittiest game i've ever played but it just didn't it's basically at the end of the day it's like a sequel for the sake of a sequel with more complex features more challenge more tedium and i just kind of wanted like i don't know if i feel like i would never say this ordinarily just saying i want exactly what the first one gave me again but like that's kind of what i wanted i wanted another chill laid back experience but this one is just a little bit too tedious a little bit too labor intensive playing it felt kind of like a chore personally for me to play it i whenever and this is like i'm sure brad you'll know what i'm talking about when i say this there are certain games when you're reviewing them that you stop your first session in it. And I just thought, I don't even want to pick this game up and play it again. Like, it's mm. not the worst thing I've ever played, but like, there's not that driving force that makes me want to, oh yeah, I want to get home from work and sit back down with this and play it again. I was happy to just kind of, you know, let a sleeping dog lie, but I, I mean, <laughs> had to play it for review. I promise everybody, I played the whole thing. It's like five-ish hours long. I think it's too long for what it is. There's like no story going on. I feel like I'm really, really, really complaining a lot, but this game felt really frustrating to me. But I, again, I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever played. And hey, some people might want a longer version with more of a challenge. And if that's your bag, this is totally it for you. But I just felt like it was too long with not enough story. And it was too tedious. I got stuck in open waters multiple times. Um, because if you run out of fuel for your ship, you basically get stuck in the water. And I had to like reload a save and then go back to saves and try to figure out how to like more efficiently run the ship in order to get past a section. I was looking up YouTube videos while I was playing it to make sure I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I usually do not do that when I review games. I like to go in, not look up sources, just play it on my own. But it was just, it felt laborious and not in a way that I would have wanted it to at the end of the day. That's really disappointing, man. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm surprised because, I mean, honestly, like, like I said at the beginning of this, this segment, um, Lone Sales was like, I mean, I don't want to say it was a perfect experience, but it was like a very well-contained, satisfying experience that I felt like checked all the boxes I wanted it to check. And I wasn't really jonesing for a sequel. I, I was like, oh, that was a great experience. I loved it. And then to see them come out with this one, Changing Tides, I mean, like you said, it basically looks like the exact same thing, but bigger. And that's not really ever my favorite kind of sequel. Um, you know, just like the exact same thing, but harder or the exact same thing, but more complicated. Um, you know, that's as, as a player in general, that's not really what I'm after. I like fresh experiences, new experiences. And I was hoping that they would have like a real unique spin to this, you know, rather than simply taking the land ship and making it an ocean ship, which I mean, kind of is just what they did. Right. I mean, just in that and just like added difficulty. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's about it. I mean, the one layer other than it being just a ship that floats on the water. Uh, this is like a minor, minor, minor spoiler, but it's probably in the trailer of the game. The boat actually gets an upgrade to take it underwater like a submarine. And that's like pretty like the, there are a few things in this game where like once a big thing happens, you just kind of sit back and you're like, oh, this is really cool. But then taking the ship underwater, you have to press even more switch 
switches to make it work underwater. Mm. I was just like, God damn it. I just sort of float around in my submarine and like relax and look at the cool jellyfish, like not press even more switches. Cause then you have to press other switches to make it elevate and uh, go down and adjust the speed. And it just, it just added more complications oh. onto a ship that was already too complicated in the first place. That's a shame because while it was somewhat complicated in the original, I felt like you could get a pretty good rhythm going where, you know, there were long stretches when you could kick back and the the car was running and you could just like go up to the upper deck and just kind of take in the scenery and cruise for a while, especially when the wind was blowing and you could put your sails down. That was really cool. So there were, you know, there was work involved in making it go, but it didn't feel crazy. Like once you figured out what did what, I felt like it was like a good balance of like, I'm doing something so that I'm not super bored, but I'm not too busy to where I'm annoyed. I felt like it was right in the sweet spot, but this one sounds like they maybe have just pushed it too far. Huh? Yeah. Agreed on all fronts. The first one was like a perfect balance of like busy work, but also getting the payoff of like enjoying the experience and the vistas. The second one, it just feels like, like I, I wanted to get on top of the ship more in the second one and just like soak in the land and the music and everything. But I felt like I didn't have a time to, like rest because I was too busy running around and doing all the shit and it just I don't know yeah it's just more more complex and it's not I don't think it really adds to the experience of the game for me I got okay one more question before we get off of this topic um one thing that I really liked about the original Lone Sales was that the story of it was really really understated but if you paid attention there were some like non-verbal cues about what was going on and especially I found it really touching because in the beginning of that game, and this is not a spoiler, like you find this out in the first 30 seconds of the game for Lone Sales, like your parent has died. Like this, the original ship was built with two people in mind. And so the struggle of one person working the ship on their own was like indicative of like, oh, my, my partner, my parent, my friend is gone. This was supposed to be a two-person journey. Now it's on me to survive and that other person isn't here. So of course it makes sense that you would be running around and doing the work of two people and that struggle to survive, I felt like was really poignant. And and when you got to the end of the story, I felt like it really wrapped up in a good way. Like I felt like it was, you know, like almost like a journey of that person, like learning to survive without their parent and without their friend. Right. Um, I guess. Do they address that at all? Are they just doing like the exact same thing again this time? Or like they can't possibly be using the same framing or are they or how does it even start off? It is. It it kind of is framed similarly. I can't remember if at the very beginning of the game, if it shows like a second person that was supposed to be on the boat with you. I just honestly can't remember that. But um, it is it's kind of like. I don't know. There are like references back to the first one. So they're not two completely standalone experiences. Um, I don't want to spoil like anything that happens with that, but um, it does. I mean, it feels similar. I don't know about the two person ship thing, but the overall like mood of the game is the same. And in this one, there are sections that it kind of reminded me a little bit of like journey, but like not like, like they were shooting for the fences and like, they didn't quite make it where, you'll like swim into these like underground caves and there are these kind of like cave drawings and stuff like that kind of pop up throughout the game. And maybe I wasn't paying good enough attention to be able to like follow what they were trying to say, but it kind of led you to believe that there was this like, I don't know if I'd call it like a society or like there were like, there maybe used to be a group of people and this like broken down landscape and they were, they had these like cave drawings and stuff. So there's like a little bit of that narrative in it. Um, But it's, it wasn't enough for me to like really, like grab onto as I was playing it. And I kept waiting for like something bigger to happen. 
it also does the thing where like there were like two or three times where I thought the game was ending and then it just kept going and I was like, ah, like when is this thing gonna be over? Um but yeah, I there are callbacks to the first one that are actually very good. Um, but I'm not like again, I'm not gonna like ooh say what they are. Um but I think if you're someone that likes it and you play through the entire game, it is a good it's a good experience that plays off of the first one if you played the first one. Um, but I'm not going to say how it does it. <laughs> so, okay, final, if you had to pick, if you had to recommend one of these games to somebody, I'm assuming you probably would recommend the first one over the second one, if, if this was to a person who had not played any of these games before. I would recommend the first one for sure. Um, unless, I don't know, unless the person I'm recommending it to, like, is one of those people who are like, oh, slow indie games are for girls. Uh, like that kind of like stupid person. <laughs> um, I would then maybe be like, okay, well, the second one's a little more challenging. And the nice thing too is that even though the second one like has some like references to the first one, you don't, I think you can play the second one without having played the first one and be totally fine. Like, cause there's barely gotcha. any story. Gotcha. But I think the first one definitely is my favorite out of the two. All right, cool. Thank you for the breakdown of Far Changing Tides, Corey. Appreciate it. Um, I think I still may give it a shot at some point, especially since it's on Game Pass, but uh, I, I got to be honest, it did fall down a couple slots on my, my two-play list right now. You said, hold on, you said your son was playing it? Is that right? He, no, yeah, he was. He was playing it, and he played, he loved Lone Sales. He loved Lone Sales, and he started Changing Tides. He liked it at first, but, you know, now that you mention it, I think he dropped off. I don't think he finished it because uh, he hasn't mentioned it in a while. I'll I'll check in with him after the show. We'll see. So, um, okay, uh, what are we talking about here? Mind scanners. I am talking about mind scanners. This is by a development studio, Brave at Night. Uh, their first game was Yes Your Grace. Have you played Yes Your Grace? I have heard of it, and I follow what is the guy's name on Twitter who's like who like I don't know if he develops all these games. Was he the president of the company or something? I've heard of Yesterday Grace and some of the other games that he like publishes or something, but I have not played it. I feel like it was probably Mike at No More Robots. Were they the ones who maybe I'm getting it wrong. I feel like it was No More Robots that published it. I could be absolutely mistaken. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. <laughs> but Yesterday Grace, fucking fantastic game. I loved it. Um, it has absolutely nothing to do with mind scanners, but just heads up. For anybody who was thinking about Yes, Your Grace, like one of my favorite games, loved it, loved it, loved it. So, of course, I was super interested in their next game, Mind Scanners. It's a pretty big divergence, which is fine because, as we just talked about with Far, I don't necessarily think it's in your best interest to do the exact same thing again. <laughs> so, kudos for changing formula. Um, it is a pretty pretty big left turn, though, um, from what Yes, Your Grace was. So, Mind Scanners, what is it? You're in some kind of like weird dystopian future. It's a 2D, pixel-based indie game where... It reminds me a lot of Papers, Please. You ever play? You ever play Papers, Please? I did not finish it, but I played it a little bit. So basically, you play a, the role of a mind scanner. You're in this weird dystopian future where the government, like this weird government organization, is like monitoring the people, and every time they see somebody who's acting a little out of order, they send you to go and test them to see number one, are they insane? Yes or no? And if they are, then treat them. And of course, the definition of insanity is not always what you think it would be. It's not just like people who are dangerous to themselves or others. It's like people who maybe disagree with the government or people who want things that the government doesn't think is right. So like you have to kind of make these judgment calls about who's insane and who's not. And there's like, you know, heavy quotes around that. Um, so that's interesting. There's also like a personal angle where they have your daughter uh, because you have fallen on hard times. You're not rich enough to like keep up with society. And so they're like, yeah, we've taken your daughter. We're going to take good care of her. And also, 
make sure you do your job really well, wink, wink. So that's, you know, you're already getting like kind of some dark, dark tinge to the story there. Um, so what you do basically is you look at a menu screen. Uh, you don't see yourself. It's kind of first person, but like you get to like an appointment, like the government will tell you, hey, there's three people who are acting funky. You pick one. You pick whatever one. You go to this person's house. You just see like a little picture of them in the corner. There's a little brain scan picture in the middle. There's a bunch of menu windows. Like it looks like you're kind of looking at the terminal of a machine almost. And so you talk to the person and they give you a little spiel like, oh, yeah, man, um, I'm a cyborg. and I love cyborg parts and I hate humanity and I hate soft skin. I want to be all metal and that's what I'm all about. And so they give you this opening gambit. You get to ask them a couple questions and they're always like kind of abstract. They do like these little um, like Rorschach tests mm -hmm. like here's a weird screen. What does this look like to you? And they give you an answer and then you decide. Does that make sense or does it not make sense? Are they crazy or are they not crazy? Once you decide if someone's crazy or not, if they're not, you let them go. And they usually say either thanks or fuck you for bothering me in the first place. <laughs> and then um, later on, you'll get like a story beat that says, oh, that person actually was crazy. They killed 15 people or oh, or they were not crazy and something, something, something happened. So there's there's ramifications to whatever you do. But if you decide that someone is crazy or insane, I should say, um, there's all sorts of like mini games that you do for them. And this is kind of where the game falls down oh, for me no. because this is like the crux. It's super interesting. I'm into the vibe. I like the concept so far, but how this plays out when you're, when you're trying to quote unquote cure someone of their insanity is like, there are different types of insanity represented by different icons. And each icon has a bunch of different mini games associated with it, but it's more complicated than that. Like if you don't want to do the mini game, there's like one basic standard procedure where you're pushing a button and it takes you a long time, but if you push the button enough times, you'll cure them of their insanity. But it takes a really, like a really long session to do that, and you're on a timer. I actually don't like the timer either. Um, so if you want to get through this quicker, because you got to make money, because you got to cure more people, because you got to make more money to get your daughter back at some point, and because you're you a to... human being who just has shit to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You want to do the matching mini games because that's get you gets you through them faster. But each one of these is totally different. So like in one of them, with insanity type A. You have this is gonna sound crazy. You have like three glass jars full of jello, and you have to tweak dials until the jello is vibrating as hard as it can vibrate. <laughs> and when the jello is vibrating, then you push a button, and if it worked, then they, they are cured of that insanity. There's also one where it's like a mouth, and like the mouth is moving in these weird shapes. I think there's probably a sound to it, but I play it in bed, and so I don't have the sound on. So I'm assuming it's probably a sound, but like. You follow the mouth shapes and you want them to get their mouth to be a certain shape. <laughs> and if you get to the end of it with their mouth looking a certain way, then they're okay. And like there's the one that hardest one that I hate is like all of a sudden every button on your switch turns into like a function. And so a thing will be up to be like, turn the lights on. And I'm like, wait, which button is the lights? Turn the volume down. Uh, I don't remember which one is the volume. Uh, go to section B. Uh, which button is it? I, I don't, I, I fuck it up all the time. Um, it's really, really difficult. So like, it ends up being like you memorizing how to most efficiently play each one of these mini games that match the type of insanity this person has. And I got to be honest with you, that part, it's kind of okay, but the difficulty in playing the mini games because they switch back and forth so much is, is more than I want. And on top of that, there is a time limit. So you can't just sit there and, and do it perfectly. Like it's like, Oh, I'm only got 30 seconds left. I got to get this jello vibrating ASAP. And you got to like <laughs> tweak the dials like as much as you can, or like, you know, like there's there's time pressure in a way that is not welcome to me when I'm playing this game. I wish I could just chill and take my own sweet time doing it. I don't know how it would work, uh, but I'm not a game developer. But I can tell you, I don't like the time limit. So I feel like I feel like I like what this game is going for, 
but I don't like how it gets there. And to be honest, I haven't even finished one run. Like I get a couple, I get a couple in and then I just get frustrated with the mini games because I fuck them up because like, I don't remember which one is which, and I'm constantly looking at which button does what. And I don't remember because each game is different than the last one. And so I, it's kind of frustrating to play and I, in a way that I don't think is good. Um, I don't know if you remember or if anybody listening remembers, but in papers, please, that was part of the gameplay where it was like, you had to like go through these wonky uh, like systems where it's like, oh, I got to weigh the person, which button does that? And I got to look at their paper and which button opens up their paper. So like, like the interface was kind of a problem and that was part of the gameplay and I get it and it worked. I feel like it worked pretty well in Papers, Please. But here I feel like they are copying that same idea of the interface being a barrier, but like taking it a little bit too far. And I... F- I mean, I don't want to say like they're copying Papers, Please, but I feel like in some ways it's too close, but in a way that's not good. So I like it. I kind of like it, um, but I kind of don't like it. And I kind of wish I was playing Papers, Please instead. And I'm really surprised <laughs> that no one's brought it to the Switch yet. So I don't know. Thoughts, Corey? This, uh, okay, you might have to stick with me on this for a second. But when you're describing this whole minigame thing, it is giving me extreme warioware vibes yeah similar that's what yeah, it sounds similar. like where it's just like ah minigame do this crazy thing and then it's over like that's what it sounds like to me but under like this i don't know like i, I don't know like authoritarian such like i don't know citizenship situation yeah yeah i mean basically there's not as many different games as warrior but you're very on track about like remember which one does what remember what the controls are do it in a hurry don't make a mistake you know, I mean, all sorts of bad stuff can happen. You can run out of money really easily. You have to buy your own mini games, which is like a drag because they're expensive. And so, like, you got to pay money to the government every night that you play because it's like the government upkeep fee. So you can run out of money. You can run out of time. You can cause injury to the person that you're trying to cure if you fuck up the mini games too much. Oh like, there's a lot of, like, negatives that can happen. And I get that that's part of it. But I just – I feel like it's, like, one notch more difficult in a way that I don't appreciate – um, and it's a little bit too close to Papers, Please for me. I kind of, I kind of wish they had diverged a little bit more. Um, but I don't mean that that to be like dismissive or insulting. I just, that's just my honest uh, opinion there. So um, it's okay. I think it's all right. I was hoping it would be better because Yes, Your Grace was like home run out of the park. Loved everything about it. Just like phenomenal game. Um, so a little bit of a sophomore slump here, but still worth checking out, especially if you have not played Papers, Please. Um, <laughs> but there is, there is some difficulty with it. So there you go. Yeah, the guy oh. on Twitter I was thinking of, by the way, is Mike Rose. Who Mike is, Rose, yes, yeah. from No More Robots. Yeah, I've been following him for a long time. I I don't think I've ever played anything that he's promoted on Twitter, but he seems likable. But sometimes he annoys me because he'll do that thing where he's like, "Oh, our game is at seventy nine percent good on Steam," and he'll like whine about people giving it bad reviews. And I just like I don't know. He's like extremely successful, and I think it's really annoying when people who are like successful like whine about stuff like that and it just like gets under my skin a little bit but that's just me complaining and being a jerk so no worries i mean i know mike um we we've had many interactions on twitter and email i've always found him to be a really really cool dude um and i you know he does a great job with no more robots and stuff so i like a lot of his choices i think he's a smart guy um he picks a lot of great games that i I think i've played almost all the games he's put out um on console not on pc um, and almost every single thing he's put out, I've really liked. So I, I dig what he's doing, but I hear what you're saying though. All right. Uh, that is mind scanners. Moving on back to you, Corey, the Castlevania advanced collection, you know, at the top of the show, we say new stuff, old stuff, anything in between. I think this definitely qualifies as old stuff, which is very <laughs> welcome. 
Um, you told me you were going to bring this to show. I was surprised. So tell me about the Castlevania Advanced Collection and why are you playing this? I would love to. So to preface this, um, for folks listening, Brad and I were DMing about what we we're going to talk about, or he just asked me what I was playing lately, and I said the Castlevania Collection, and it occurred to me, I think that you know, Brad and I used to do this show every week for like a couple of years. And for some reason, we never, ever talked about Castlevania. And uh, at least not that I remember. And Castlevania is like a, it is a super formative game for me, even though for some reason I never bring it up. It's probably because Konami are jerks and they have not put out a Castlevania since 2014. So it has not been like relevant lately. Um, but the Castlevania Advanced Collection came out sometime last year, I believe, in 2021. It's out on, like, all consoles and PC, as far as I know, Switch as well. I'm playing it on PlayStation 4. It takes the three Castlevania games, which are Castlevania Circle of the Moon, uh, Harmony of Dissonance, and Aria of Sorrow, and it puts them on... Ba- I mean, it's not really, like, a remaster, but it's more just, like upscaled for a tv or a computer monitor and it puts them all in one package it's been on my radar for a while because castlevania circle of the moon which was a game boy advanced or advanced uh no it's just advanced a game boy advance um launch title back in 2002 <laughs> i got a game boy advance uh, i played i went to blockbuster and rented castlevania Circle of the Moon. Oh my god, you went to where? You did what? What are, what are you even talking about? <laughs> these I don't, these what? relics of our past. Um, I rented it at Blockbuster, eventually bought it. Um, I actually, there's like a closet over here, you can't see it, Brad, but I have a backpack in there that has my Sony PSP and a Game Boy Advance SP. I have all three of the Game Boy Advance versions of these Castlevania games currently on Game Boy Advance SP. My SP still works flawlessly. If a hurricane hits New Orleans and the power goes out, the first thing I do is get my Game Boy Advance SP out and I still play it. Flawless, Nintendo, Chef's Kiss, good job. However, the Advance Collection is all three of those games um, packaged into one. They have a few quality of life things that are really welcome, although I will admit I'm not using them much. One of them, uh, traditionally in Castlevania games... It's a 2D side scroller. You are exploring a giant castle. You can kind of explore it any way you want. There are like a few um, sort of siloed areas, um, but there's there's always the Castlevania classic areas like the clock tower is a big area. The entrance hall is a big area. You know, the catacombs and most games just do riffs off of different versions of those. Um, and the But you have to find save rooms. You go to the save room, very old school. It refills your health. You save the game. And then if you play for 20 minutes and die, you have to go back to the save room and start over from your last save. There is like a save anywhere option in the new in the uh, the new collection, which is really nice. I also believe there is a rewind feature that I have not used yet, but I think you can pull like L two and you like if you die, you can like do a Prince of Persia style like rewind because Castlevania games can be pretty challenging. Um, I think back to when I was like twelve or thirteen, and I had the. PlayStation 1, the very portable version of the PlayStation 1, and I had a little monitor that closed on top of it. I would pop up the monitor. Oh, and I yes. Would, I had one of those, too. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. I, my dad was a mechanic. I would go to the car shop with my dad while he was working on a truck or whatever. I would sit in the back seat of his big truck with my PlayStation 1 with my little monitor on it. And I played Castlevania Symphony of the Night. That's how I first encountered that game. I'm of the mind, I know Symphony of the Night's like well-regarded. I'm of the mind that, yes, it's like an, an amazing game. It is very difficult in the second half. 
if you're fortunate enough to even know how to unlock the second half of the game, because that game has some fake-out endings that are really intense. Um, but the Advanced Collection has three uh, advanced, uh, Game Boy Advance games on it. They're all a little bit different. Um, Circle of the Moon, which is my favorite, the one I played the most, that's the one that I can start the game and be like, all right, I know this like the back of my hand. I go in this room, there's an Earth Demon. I go in this room, it's mummies and caskets. Um, it has a card system. It's called the Dual Select System. No other Castlevania has this, where as you kill enemies over the course of the game, there's a chance that they will drop a little card, and you have two rows of cards. They're named after, like I think, like Roman and Greek gods or something. And whenever you pair up certain cards, they will give you different bonuses. Like, one card will affect all of your whips. So you could have, like, the whip card... Then you have, like, whatever demon is, like, the fire demon, and it gives you a flaming whip. You can have an ice whip. You can have a thorn whip. And some do different things, like, they give you more strength, they give you more luck. There's just, like, a bunch of combination of these cards. But the downside is that you have to kind of grind to get them. And there were rooms in this game, and I did not remember this from the first time, the first, like, 20 times I played it. But there were rooms where, like, only one monster will give you a certain card. I was backing out and going into that room and killing that monster, like... 55 times just for it to drop that one card for an elemental thing that I probably never even used, but I wanted all the fucking cards. Um, but Circle of the Moon, underrated, love it. It's incredible. Harmony of Dissonance, there was a lot, which is the second one. There was a lot of uh, comments about Circle of the Moon being too dark for the Game Boy Advance because that was back when there was no backlighting on these consoles. Um, so Harmony of Dissonance is much more like Symphony of the Night. It is brighter. It's bombastic. You play as a character who looks a lot like uh, Alucard from Symphony of the Night. He's this sort of like effeminate, long white hair, like beautiful looking guy with a whip. Um, very kind of psychedelic in some of its visuals. Um, feels very much like an old school Castlevania game. The, all, all three of them are great, by the way. And then in the third one, Aria of Sorrow you play as um, Soma Cruz, it takes place... They made a big deal about this one that came out as it being, like, the first Castlevania that takes place in the future, because it takes place in, like, 2035 or something. But there's, like, nothing in the game that, like, would make you think it's... Like, if they didn't tell you from the get, um, you would never know that it takes place in the future. But Aria of Sorrow has a soul system that's kind of like the dual select system where you have three different soul types and there are certain enemies you kill and you absorb their soul. They give you different, um, you know, strength increase. Some of them, it'll let you like fall slowly if you activate it. Some are like passive buffs, some are weapons, some are just like elemental things. You could do like the falling slowly thing. It's not really a combat thing, but if you like hold the trigger while you're jumping, it lets you fall slowly. Um, they all, I, like, there's not a good way for me to get in-depth about all of these, other than saying that they're all fantastic in their own ways. Um, if you loved Castlevania, or you played these and want to go back to them, if you maybe wrote off the advanced Castlevania games as being like, oh, Castlevania for little kids, or whatever, like, that is certainly not the issue. These feel like fully realized long interesting castlevania games they're not dumbed down for the for handheld at all and now that they're finally on pc and ps4 and xbox and all the systems i feel like they kind of get to come back to their glory and i played them all several times over when i was like 12 to 15 and now i get to play them all over again i beat circle of the moon a few weeks ago i'm probably like halfway through uh harmony of dissonance i've played a little bit of aria of sorrow just to get a feel for it and it's just nice to play them again. I don't know. I can't. I feel like I can't say anything like 
rev revolutionary about these games, but I'm glad that Konami was smart enough because Konami is like so dormant. I'm glad that they decided to package these, put them out on new consoles because I feel like they were overlooked because they were handheld games, but they deserve every bit of praise. They're not dumbed down. They're not stupid. They're actually quite challenging in some places. Um, I would argue the circle of the moon is pretty damn hard. Um, and these, like, if you're somebody who likes, this might be a good discussion point for us to have, Brad. If you're someone who likes the Souls games, I am not a Souls games person, but I have heard time and time again that the Souls games are like 3D Castlevania games because they're not about brute force. They're about the rhythm and the dance of combat, and Castlevania is like the 2D version of that, but Castlevania did it before from software was a twinkle in its father's eye like they were doing it well before then um so maybe if you're somebody who likes those kind of games and you're interested in a 2d version like these were souls games before souls games were a thing and there is a rhythm to the way the combat works you have to study enemy patterns there's a lot of boss battles you have to study the boss patterns in order to get everything correct it's not about brute force it's not always about strength but you do level up over time which is nice there are rpg elements you can equip armor and gloves and boots to boost your stats um they're very good that's all i can say they're great i'm glad that they came that they came back to modern consoles they absolutely deserve your time and attention if these are games that you're interested in it's funny you brought these up because I, you know, I'm an old guy. I mean, maybe not quite. Uh, you're you're younger than I am, you whippersnapper. But I'm, uh, you know, we both came up when these games were were being dropped, and I can remember when you know Symphony of the Night originally came out. It was like a sensation, and then Konami like really capitalized on it, and it felt like for a while we were getting like too many Castlevania games, where it was like there was a bunch. It felt like at least like one a year, and um, that's kind of like when in my memory that's when these came out when it was like I played. Symphony of Night, I played like whatever the one was next. I think I probably even played the next one. And then I was like, okay, like I'm good. Like I don't want to play any more of these because they're all they're all good, but they're all pretty similar. And like playing too many of them in short order feels like too much, right? Um, but it's funny because that was like a long time ago. That was like, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years ago? There's probably a lot of people out there today, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast who haven't even played even a single one of these games. Um, so I think it's great that these things are available and this, you know, this gets back to a topic that we, we touch on, on the show all the time about having games be accessible in terms of like the genre history. Like, like you can always go back and read the classic books. You can go back and you can almost, almost watch any classic movie that you want to. If you're an art student, you can go back and look at paintings. If you're like, uh, any, you know, any kind of student of like the creative endeavors of humanity, you can almost always go back to the older stuff, sculptures architecture whatever like see these things but in terms of games like we have basically always seen them as products and like archiving them just doesn't really exist i think people are changing that attitude now but it's slow and there's been a lot of games that have been lost but having something like this available just to go back and say oh this is was the shit 15 years ago what did it look like back then what were we doing in terms of design like what was popular back then and just having that available i think is really great so like for me, I don't think I would ever want to play these again. I played a lot of them, played too many of them, <laughs> been there, done that. But they were great back in the day, but I've moved on. But for, there's a lot of people out there who I think would really, really enjoy these games. Like you said, Souls people looking for something else or maybe people who like 2D games or platformers who maybe haven't ever even... I mean, it sounds crazy, but there's like a lot of people who have never played a Castlevania. When it was like one of the biggest franchises a couple years ago, like, you know, when we were much younger men. So I think it's great that they're available. I'm glad you brought it to the show. It makes me feel good that we can really capitalize on what we say every time we open this podcast about, you know, new stuff, old stuff, anything in between. <laughs> I feel like we fulfilled that this week. 
Um, so thank you for bringing it to the show. I'm glad. Uh, and just really quickly remind me, uh, you're playing this on PS4, is that correct? Yes, I'm playing it on PS4. Um, it's on, I'm pretty sure, everything. It's even on... I could not imagine playing this game on mouse and keyboard. I think that would be a disaster, but it is on PC. I really... I think this would be a perfect collection to play on Switch. I wanted to Switch, buy it on Switch, yeah. but I have a friend who's been borrowing my Switch, and plus I don't think it ever goes on sale on Switch. I bought it on sale on PS4. I think it's... $30, I want to say full price, which honestly, $30 is like a steal for all three of these games. I mean, $10 Ten a Ten bucks piece. a game is not bad. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. an incredible price, but I'm just a cheap ass. I think I got it for like $15 or $20 on sale, but there might be a day a few years from now where I buy it on Switch because these were originally portable games, and I think they would just shine on the switch but i'm having fun playing it on ps4 sitting in my bed it, they look beautiful the music is wonderful um yeah they just feel like it's like that friend you haven't seen in 10 years and then you get dinner with them and you just pick up right where you left off that's how these games are they feel just the way i remember them the challenge is still there the music is still there the visuals are even better because they're blown up on a big screen it's just yeah, these are great. If you played them before and love them and want to revisit them, or if you're somebody who's into this stuff, but it, maybe you're into like the newer side-scrolling games and never, you know, d- didn't learn your history and haven't played Castlevania, <laughs> this is it's a good opportunity to go back and try them. Agreed, agreed. I think they're kind of a, a must-play. I don't know that you need to play all of them, but I think that I would I would definitely, I mean, absolutely put Castlevania. I mean, we even like we kind of named a genre after half of you know Metroidvania. <laughs> That's where this comes from, yeah. right? So like if you haven't played any of the original games that inspired this new genre, definitely go back and check out some of these. Maybe not, you know, I'm not gonna play all of them. Th- three in a row is like a lot for me, <laughs> but I think people should definitely play these. I'm glad that they're around. So okay, cool. Uh, moving on really quickly, Deck of Ashes. This is a brand new I don't think it's even out yet. Oh, boy. Um, pre-release, but we're okay. The embargo was a couple days ago. It's a deck builder RPG. Uh, just full disclosure, the publisher sent me a code for the purpose of talking about it on this podcast, which I'm doing literally right now. Um, so this is a strange one. It's an interesting one. Basically, uh, there was a long intro uh, cutscene, which I did not understand because there were no <laughs> subtitles. Oh, I was playing no. it. Moment. Here we go. Here we yeah. go. When my wife was asleep, I was playing with the sound off and they were talking and I'm like, I, there's literally no subtitles. So I jumped to the menu to see if I could turn on subs and there were none. So just as a quick PSA, developers, if you're going to have an opening cutscene, please subtitle it. Uh, I mean, and just have the subs on by default. That's my preference. But even if you're not going to put them on by default, because I know some people are assholes and can't stand the side of the English language. Uh, at least make sure that it is an option later on, because I literally have no idea what the story is about. Because there was no subtitles. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I was a little bit salty about that, to be honest. But then I got into the game, and then, you know, there was text and stuff, so that was fine. Um, it's evil demons, spirits, or something, blah, 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 whatever. I don't know. But you're in this forest, um, and you are a character trying to, like, defeat evil. You have a deck of cards that you can um, change and refresh. I mean, a lot of the, the common deck builder elements are here, right? Like, you put a deck of cards together, attack, defense, there's action points attacking enemies turn base like it's all this is all pretty similar to start with but the things that make deck of ashes stand out i think the art style is great i think it's very um like kind of thick lines stark colors pretty cartoony reminds me a little bit of darkest dungeon which is one of my most favorite games of all time i am like the endless like darkest dungeon stand so any game that kind of recalls that style visually is is already got like a leg up with me so i like the visuals a lot i think it's really cool looking 
Um, but I think the systems are also pretty cool as well. In addition to the basic deck builder stuff, there's this kind of like, I don't know, like, like brutal survival element to it. Like you have this energy and once you go through your deck of cards once, most deck builders just like reshuffle the deck and you start over. But in this one, once you're out of cards, if you haven't killed the enemy by the time you're out of cards, you have to pay life points to get your deck back. So it's like you're, you're taking like an actual penalty if you don't get the job done. And a lot of these enemies have a lot of life. And so like it's pretty unlikely at the start of the game you're going to be able to knock out anybody the first time through. So like you get through, you take whatever attacks you take from the enemy, you get to the end of your deck. Oh shit, they're still alive. Boom, I got to take like a penalty to get my cards back. Interesting. I think that's pretty interesting, right? You get to the end of the match um, and those cards are still burned. They're gone. So between matches, you can either go to a campsite and somebody will give you your deck back for free, but you don't always have an option. So if you don't have that option, you have to uh, like use your energy points um, that are replenished but to, to bring them back. So you can either give your life back with these energy points or you can get cards back with these energy points. So you're playing this like, you know, this risk reward, like, OK, if I give myself full life, I don't have enough energy to get all of my deck back. And that means that I'm not going to have all my cards. So I'm probably not going to be able to knock out the guy in the first round, which means I'm going to take a health penalty because I'll have to reshuffle. Or I can use all my energy points to get all my cards back, but my life is not full. So then if I get into a battle that goes south, I'm already starting off with some injuries. I'm not at full health. Oh, you know, am I going to be able to survive that fight? Interesting. Very interesting stuff. I think these are great systems. I really like the way that this system works. Um, the cards that I've seen so far, pretty straightforward, but I think that's okay. I don't like it when cards are way too complicated. I mean, it's mostly like attacking, blocking. Sometimes you have a card that will go into your graveyard after you've used it, and it'll have an effect once it's in the graveyard, which I think is kind of cool because you're kind of hurry up and get some cards out of your hand faster than you normally would. So I think all these systems are really, really cool. Um, the only downside to this so far is that I feel like, and this is a weird complaint for me to have, but I feel like the UI really needs work. Um, as I was going through this game, clearly it was designed you know, for the PC first. I'm sure I'd be at any amount of money that it was. Um, it works okay. I'm playing on Xbox, but like sometimes I couldn't figure out which button was going to get me to which function that I wanted. Like, like your deck of cards is at the bottom of the screen and I would somehow like move the cursor off of the cards to look at something else. And then it'd be like, how do I get back to the cards? Like, I don't like no combination of button presses was like getting me back. And it was like, I would just randomly accidentally get back to my cards <laughs> and I'm not even sure what it did. Or sometimes you get a pop-up about some card information and it would be like on top of the other car, like this other information that you had. And so sometimes the windows were like overlapping in a way that felt really clunky and like cluttered. Um, so like the UI, I feel like is kind of busted and it needs some work. Like this is totally something that can be fixed. I totally think they can like patch this out. They can get a, uh, you know, a last minute UI designer, just fix a few things, reduce the size of a couple windows, make sure that only one window is open at a time, you know, like kind of basic stuff like that. Um, but once you get away from the UI, which is kind of annoying and just actually play the game. I think there's a lot of really interesting systems. I like kind of how brutal it feels. I like how there's like just this meanness to it that I don't think is in a lot of card battlers, like with the health penalties and like the deciding whether to restore life or restore cards, really interesting stuff that I haven't seen in a lot of other deck builders. So I only just started this one. I'm only like, I don't know, like one or two hours in or something. Just started, just started, just scratched the surface of it. But so far I'm digging it. And I think it's pretty fucking interesting. So I really want them to get the UI patched out. I'm sure it will be. 
but the core of what they're doing, I feel like is right on track. Very interesting stuff. This sounds, I have never played like a deck builder game before. Um, I remember you talking about, um, what's the game that you referenced at the beginning of this discussion? Uh, Darkest Dungeon? Yes, I remember you talking at length about Darkest Dungeon whenever we used to podcast together, but this is one of those games where I just have to shrug and say, I trust you that it's great, but I would never ever play it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, I play a lot of the deck builders. I like the mechanics. I like the that genre, especially because usually they're turn-based. Usually they're pretty strategic. And that's kind of where I'm at these days. Like, I really want to be using the brain. I want interesting choices. And so I feel like deck builders lately have been really hitting that zone for me. Um, I like this one a lot. I, it definitely needs work. If the developer is listening, please fix your UI. It's really... It's really awkward and cumbersome, but like the gameplay, design, concepts, art, like it's all on point. I really think it's going to be something special once it gets polished up a little bit. So thumbs up so far to Deck of Ashes. Just be aware of the UI is a little bit, a little bit poopy right now. Um, okay, we've got about, uh, we got a little bit of time left in the show before we bail here. Corey, really quickly, you mentioned kind of offhandedly that you were going to be giving a world to The Last of Us Part 2, a tiny little indie game that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> The Last of Us Part 2, I mean, I had to even Google it to find out even what it was. Uh, tell us, sir, why did you pick this up, and what do you think of it so far? Yeah, I uh, don't think a lot of people have heard of this game. Um, it's just like me to bring these small indie games nobody's heard of. To I don't know how you floor. found it. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know where you found it. Uh, it was in um, some musty pawn shop with a layer of dust on it, and I thought, hey, this looks <laughs> interesting. I'll give it a shot. Um yeah, so Last of Us Part Two. this is kind of a game that I never thought I would play. Um, I have said, perhaps controversially on our podcast before, that I think The Last of Us, the first one, is not as great as everybody says it is. Um, much like, Would you say it is the Train to Busan? I was just going to say, yeah, it's like the Train to Busan thing, where when The Last of Us came out, everybody was like, oh my god, this is this is the best game that's ever been made and it takes storytelling to a whole new level and blah, blah, blah. And for what it's worth, I think The Last of Us is good. I do not think that is a bad game at all. I just think that it gets a lot more praise than it perhaps deserves. And at the end of the day, it is a third-person zombie game. And, like, when it came out way back when on the PS3, like zombie games were like a dime a dozen. I mean, they're still even coming out these days. And I feel like Naughty Dog were pretending like they had like elevated the genre into like new heights. And at the end of the day, whatever, it's a zombie game. That being said, I still like it, even though I am being really annoying about it. I've played through the first game, not once, not twice, but three times. Um, Fuck, really? You played, played through that game three, three times? I played it on PS3 Holy when shit. it came out. I played the the upgraded PS4 version when it came out. But what and I will say they had they released a DLC for it called Left Behind. Left Behind is Chef's Kiss Amazing. It is That's a ten out of ten. It is that a is ten a perfect, out of ten. Perfect DLC. Yes. Yeah, um I love the Left Behind DLC. Um so what brought me around to it recently is uh I you know never really thought I would play the first one again. I played it twice, like that was fine. Um However, the gentleman I am dating right now, he is one of those weirdos that likes watching people play video games. <laughs> I personally do not like watching people play video games, but I know that's like, I mean, Twitch is a whole industry in and of itself. Like, people love watching people play video games. I am not one of them, but I am fortunate that he likes watching me play video games, and I've been able to, because he's played games here and there, but I don't think, and I think he would agree with this, he doesn't have, like, 
the best hand-eye coordination to play like you know, an action game or whatever, but he does have, like, he really likes Age of Empires. He plays that sometimes in my apartment. Um, He's really into, you know, kind of like RTS that are a little slower paced, that are strategic, but if you put, like, Doom 2016 in front of him, I don't think he would make it, like, 30 steps. Um, But that's just different tastes in gaming. There's nothing wrong with that. It's totally fine. But he can watch me play some of these action games that he's more interested in, and he's the one that brought up The Last of Us to me. He said... Hey, like, I'm pretty sure he was like, have you heard of this game, The Last of Us? <laughs> I was like, I, indeed, I have heard of it. Like, tell me more. I don't know this one. Um, so he, and the interesting thing about him is he's, uh, he does uh, breast cancer research. Uh, he's like a PhD student. So I'm not saying that that's like a full crossover with like the world of The Last of Us, but it has to do with like, you know, viruses and deadly diseases and stuff. So there's like that piqued his interest a little bit. He also loves zombie movies, like I had said before. So this is like a good crossover for zombie games. He brought it up to me, um, asked, you know, me if I, because I told him I was like, yeah, I own it. Uh, no, actually, I didn't own it at the time, but it was like 10 bucks on the PlayStation Network. So I bought it so um, I could play it with him. And he watched me play the whole first one. And we just wrapped playing it probably like two weeks ago. And he had expressed interest in the second one. And I told him, I was like, well, <laughs> like, kind of never really thought I would play the second one because I, when the second one came out, like the, first of all, it came out like right after everything shut down for COVID. And I remember there being a huge discussion about like, is this even the right time to release this kind of game? Because the world was already grim enough. It still is like at the time and the sort of like press circles that were going around about not only the first last of us, but the second one is that this is like a grim game. Like there is not a speck of happiness in this entire game. It's all horrendous things happening to people. I cannot confirm that because I've only played last of us two for like maybe two to three hours now. That's how early I am in it, by the way, everybody listening. Um, But he expressed interest in wanting to see the second one, and it was on sale at Best Buy of all places last week. So I picked it up at Best Buy for like 20 bucks, um, loaded it into my PS4. I'm about three hours in. Um, I will say that it plays so far pretty much exactly like the first one. Um, The first one you played as Joel, who had Ellie by his side. Um, And this one you play as Ellie, but you also play as a new character named Abby. And it's got this um, Indigo Prophecy thing going on where, like, you play as the good guy for part of the game, you play as the bad guy for part of the game, and their stories kind of intertwine a lot. I'm not going to spoil anything, but a lot of the story has been spoiled for me, like, prior to playing it. Because at the time, I was reading these big think pieces about the second one because I thought, I'm never going to play this game. Like, sure, I'll figure, like, I don't care if I read spoilers because, like, it doesn't really make a difference to me. So I more or less already know a lot of the story beats of the game. Um, I just didn't want to play it because my thing about The Last of Us is it seems like it falls, or I think, um, and I predict the second one will do this. I don't know if it will. I predict that the second one will fall into that category of games that I do not like, where the game is very linear and it, it, it forces you to do horrendous things to people. And then it turns around five minutes later And it rubs your face in the dirt and says, oh, don't you feel bad for doing those horrendous things? And I do not like when video games do that. If you give me a choice to do a nice or a bad thing and I do the bad thing, fine. The gloves are off. Tell me I did a bad thing. I do not like another game that's like this that I hated was um, Spec Ops The Line. Spec Ops The Line. Spec Ops The Line. 
the poster child for forcing you to do shitty things and then trying to make you feel bad. Yep. About it. And I, I, there is a market for it because people fucking loved that game. And I played it and I was like, this is the game everybody's in love with that's like pushing Army Man pew pew storytelling to new heights. I played it and I was like, this game sucks. Like, all it does <laughs> is make you do horrible things. And then it turns around and tries to make you feel bad for doing the horrible things. Yeah. I am not on board yes. with that. Um, I predict The Last of Us 2 is going to go there. I do not know that for sure and i didn't want to play this game because it seems like on top of that it's a violence for violence's sake game and like listen i can get down with violent games like i love doom 2016 i have cut off more heads than i could count in dishonored like i will get down with violence in games but what i don't like is for the because the last of us 2 is it's a very beautiful very like photorealistic for lack of a better word game and, like, if you see a photorealistic version of a human bashing in another human's head with a brick or whatever, like, I mean, sure, there's artistry to that. But also, like, do I want to watch that? Like, do I want to be forced to watch that in an effort to make me feel bad about watching it? And again, I'm not sure if that's going to happen in this game because I'm only a few hours in. But these are, like, all the prefaces for why I never thought I was going to play this game. And I know there's also some storylines about like a trans character who is dead named in the game. And like, I just, I just don't, what I don't want is straight white people writing marginalized characters in a discriminatory way to make you feel bad about it. And I know like, Ooh, those are the times of the game. Like this is the stuff that would probably really happen, but like, I like I'm gay. I don't need to like play games where, characters are calling other characters faggots so i can understand what being discriminated against is like i know what that's like in firsthand in real life like that's not my bag but after all that being said here i am playing the fucking games (laughs) but i can say i'm only a few hours in i cannot offer you know the biggest insights on the planet um maybe perhaps in a month i can come back and we do a spoiler show i don't know but um i'm a few hours in i've played as ellie some i've played as abby some one of the first like big early events in the game has already happened. Although it was spoiled for me beforehand, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's the kind of thing that sets off like the big course of the game. It's kind of slow to start. Um, it's, it is following tropey stuff that I sort of predicted. Like there's a scene a couple hours in where like Ellie and a side character, they're kind of hinted to be having a romance and they like find this bunker area that has a bunch of like weed, like marijuana in it. And like they get like a, like a blunt out, and I looked at my partner, and I was like, "They're gonna smoke the weed. They're gonna talk about their feelings, and then they're gonna do something sexy." And would you believe it? That's exactly what they did. They <laughs> smoked the weed together. They talked about their somewhat blue <clears throat> relationship, and then Ellie got on top of the other character, and they started kissing. And I was like, "Wow, breakthrough storytelling here!" Like it's all stuff that we've seen before. However, I have heard that this game also subverts what you would expect a game to do so far it is not doing that at all it is doing the beats that i exactly expected to do for better or worse i mean whatever some people are into that but um i'm just it's it's not bad it looks beautiful it plays mechanically very similar to the first i've already had some intense like uh enemy encounters the beginning a few enemy encounters you deal with fighting the infected rather than humans because I think fighting infected is the more interesting part of these games, but instead they they sideline that and make you fight humans for 80% of the game. And like there is fear and um, anxiety that comes with like fighting fully human hunters that are after you with guns. 
But, like, the game is kind of a zombie game, so I like when they play up the horror elements and the survival elements. And so far, this game is doing a good job of that. Every enemy encounter I've had so far has been with Infected, which has been nice because you can kind of stealth around them, you can fight them head-on, you can shoot them, you can stab them. I like the way it does it. I also think the Infected in this game have really great character design. Uh, my partner is obsessed with the clickers. Every time, like, a clicker off-screen makes the gross clicking noise or like yells for like echolocation. He like freaks out next to me and it's so cute. Um, He really loves the character design and the sound design and it is like kind of knocking it out of the park, but I can't really offer any like, Oh, here's my big insights. So those are my reservations about playing it. I never thought I would play it. Here I am finally playing it. Um, The funny thing is that because he wants to watch me play it, I will only play it in front of him. So I'm going to be moving through this game weekend by weekend as he's over here mm. with me. So I, I mean, I suspect this game is in the 20 hour ballpark. So maybe in two months I will finish it. Maybe in a month I will finish it. I have no idea how long it is. So we'll see, but I can only play it on weekends when he's watching. So I'll finish it as soon as I can, but I cannot play it through the week because he's, he's uh, I want to, I want him to watch me play it. He's why I'm playing this anyway. So. Man, I think you are grossly underestimating how long this game is. I'm going to look it up <laughs> because I played this game. Uh, I did not play all of it. I'm going to look it up. Standby listeners. Uh, I know. Standby. This is very exciting. <laughs> Here it is. Okay. Yes. Uh, I, I think I think how long to beat is a little bit off. This says the game is, if you completionist, 40 hours. Okay. Um, I played it for, I feel like I played it for at least like 20 hours and I felt like I had a lot left. I think it's, I think it's longer than that. Although maybe I play slower than other people. Um, yeah, not a fan of this one. I really like the last of us one, which we talked about a million times in the first incarnation of our podcast. Um, I still think it holds up. I think it's really, really well done. I liked it very much. I think I liked it more than you do for sure. Um, I did not like the last of us part two at all. (laughs) Um, I spent quite a bit of time playing it. And I just like, I mean, I'd have to go back and listen to what I said about it here in the podcast. I don't want to contradict myself, but basically I had a lot of problems with the the combat encounters. I felt a lot of the combat encounters were kind of like weird because the AI wasn't working properly. Or like sometimes you'd be just like fighting like too much. Like sometimes you'd be in one zone. It's like there's some um, infected right here, right outside the doors, like some humans. And like it kind of went back and forth and it just it didn't feel like normal or natural and i felt like it was way too long i felt like there's a really good game in there if it was maybe like half the length that it ended up being um i had a lot of problems with um the graphic violence and i don't like how the story went i mean granted i didn't play it all the way through but as soon as i felt like i bailed i went and read like a story synopsis and i was really glad that i stopped playing when i did um i feel like it's one of those games where if I had played it all the way through, I think it would have ruined my appreciation for the first Ooh. Last of Us. It would have made me hate the first game in retrospect. So I'm glad that I stopped because I really liked Last of Us number one. It didn't need a sequel. I didn't want it. I didn't want a sequel. Um, so I just am going to go on record and saying I don't like this sequel at all. Um, I don't think it's as great as people are saying it is. I think it has way too much praise. Um, and I'll just leave it there for now. Um, but let me know what you think. I would love to hear your further thoughts. You know, a couple weekends from now, get back to me. Let me know how it's going. I mean, as you play it in chunks, and I'd be curious to see what you thought. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. I'm a little bummed to hear that it's that long because I, I mean, you and I used to talk about this all the time about games like overstaying their welcome. I do not like games that are padded out and long, like Final Fantasy VII Remake. I loved that game, but it could have been 25% of the length and I probably would have loved it more. Um, I'm not thrilled to hear that this game is that long because I, 
don't want to spend 40 hours in this game. But that being said, I will play it. I'm generally a slower-paced completionist-type gamer. I will search every room, every nook and cranny, open every drawer for the single bullet that's in that drawer. So So you're looking at 40, 50 hours. It'll probably probably take me a long time. But, uh, I mean... I will try to beat it. I'm if it if I end up just like absolutely hating it 20 hours in, like maybe I'll stop and I'll just look at my partner and say, sorry, dude, like I can't finish this. But I really want to stick it out so that I can see where the story goes. And even though the story has kind of been spoiled for me already, at least the big story beats. Right, um, right. But he doesn't know anything about it. So he's really just thrilled to watch me play it. So, um, yeah, I'm going to keep at it. Um, like I said, I'm like about three hours in. I'm not that far in at all, but I'm going to stay with it. Uh who knows? Maybe it'll turn me around and I'll like it. Maybe it will make me hate it and I will hate the first one even. I don't hate the first one, but I will dislike the first one more than I do after finishing it. I don't know. We'll see, but I'm going to stick with it. I never thought I'd be playing this game, but uh, sometimes life takes strange turns and we play video games that we didn't want to play before, but here we are. That is exactly true. That is exactly true. Well, let me know. I'm very curious to see what you think of it. It would be incredibly ironic and it would not surprise me and yet i would be totally surprised if you ended up loving it um i'm bracing myself for you to love it because i fucking hate it i really don't like it at all um anyway okay get off of the topic we're going to wrap the show in just two seconds but before we go i wanted to just give a really quick shout out to road 96 um the playstation and the xbox versions just dropped it originally dropped last year i want to say for pc and switch have you ever played road 96 Corey? i have no idea what this is this is a really interesting, super interesting game where uh, we'll talk probably more about it next episode. I believe Carlos is playing it as well, but just as a heads up. Uh, so basically it takes place in a fictional, like kind of a fascist country. And it's also like a roguelike, but it's also a narrative game. And so you, the player are kind of like, you're not like a spirit, but you're just like this, like like the player interacting with people. You're not a character in the game. But what happens is you take a teenager, the government is cracking down on teenagers because teenagers are the people who are rebelling against the government. So it's disenfranchising them of their votes. It's uh, taking them away from their parents. It's doing all sorts of like terrible things, sending them to this uh, like work camp, like, like shit's going down for teenagers in a really bad way in this country. So a lot of the teenagers are hitting the road and they're trying to cross the border. So what happens is you as the player, you're not involved in the story, but you are helping one of these teens get out of the country and it's roguelike. So like you pick one teen at random, they meet other people on the road. There's like a series of like six or eight, um canon characters that you can have different encounters with and every time you encounter them they do like something different happens it's not the same thing every time so let's say for example you start with teen number one you're trying to get to the border your first person you meet is like a truck driver and he's like hey i'll give you uh, a lift because you're hitchhiking and then you just end up talking and like you end up giving him like relationship advice he drops you off at a gas station that's it right but the next time like when you start with you either um get him out of the the country or you get captured you start with a brand new teen to like make another run and you may meet that truck driver again. But the second time he's like getting attacked by people who are trying to jack his truck. And so like you're trying to help him pe- keep people away from the truck or sometimes he'll be angry because somebody stole something from him. And so like every time that you, the player, play the game, you're seeing another aspect of these characters that are populating the country while at the same time trying to get these teenagers to get these people to help them to get them out of the country. So it's like a political commentary. It's also a roguelike. It's also a narrative game. It's really um, reminiscent of something like the early days of Telltale, like when Telltale started doing their narrative games, like with The Walking Dead, where there's a lot of just like talking to people, taking in scenery, um, a couple mini games, like you're shooting a gun really briefly, you're driving a car really briefly, but it's not like, it's not heavy, right? Like it's really, really easy, 
the point of it is to talk to people, get to know them. And sometimes you'll have a lot of options. Like you'll be, have the chance to like steal some food or steal some money. Like if you steal this, this other person's going to go hungry, but you're also hungry right now. Like you're trying to survive. You're trying to get across the border. Maybe that person will survive. Maybe they won't. Like, what do you do? You know, when someone asks you for help, if they ask you to turn yourself in or do they ask you to help them, you know, I don't know, like arrest somebody. If you help, I mean, maybe it's going to get you across the border. Maybe it won't. Like, what do you do? How do you navigate those situations where you have to take care of yourself and survive, but at the same time, you don't want to sacrifice your morals and you don't want to be, I mean, at least me, I don't want to be cruel to other people. I want to help people rather than hurt them. But sometimes like it's down to either you or me. Um, I think it's a really interesting game. I really like it a lot. And the runs are really short. Like you can finish a run, like an entire run with one teenager, like in, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe even less, um, depending on what your choices are. And you do that for a number of teenagers, and then eventually you get to the end of the game. Um, my son, who is 13, watched this over my shoulder, and he was, like, absolutely smitten. He's like, Dad, I totally want to play this. So I bought it for him, and he played it. He loved it. I mean, he is a teenager. He was identifying with those people on screen, like all these teenagers who wanted to get out of the country. He was feeling this. You know, like, I'm, there's definitely, like, a part of, like, his life under COVID was, like, really reminding him of a lot of things that was happening on screen. Um, like the different pressures. And after he finished the game, like he went through the entire game, he finished it like way before I did. And he came back and he said, dad, I feel bad. And he started talking about the, the times in the game when he had to choose between himself and others and like the guilt and the, the feelings that it brought up in him, which is amazing. Like, I mean, that's like some of the best shit about video games is when it makes you think about yourself, think about others. What is your life? What, what do these things mean? How does it relate to you in the real world? That's amazing, dude. I love that stuff when that happens. So, I, that's all I'm going to say about it for now, but I really like it a lot. Road 96 is on PC, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation. You can finish the whole thing in a couple hours, and the individual runs are really quickly. You can do it bite size if you want to. I think it's really fascinating, and I'm really liking it a lot. My son absolutely loves it, and I think this is kind of like under the radar for a lot of people, so definitely check it out if you want something political of the moment and a little bit uh, left of center right now. I think it's definitely doing its own thing. <clears throat> I'm looking at it on Steam right this moment while you're talking about it. It has like a kind of like a cartoony slash dishonored type art style that I was not kind of a cell shaded sort of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is $19.96 on Steam <laughs> for those wondering. Is this appealing to you, Corey? What do you think of what I said? Um, I feel like if this were on sale, I would maybe, you know, and I'm going to put it on my wish list. If this were on sale, I would think about this. It has very positive reviews. It has 6,800 reviews, and they're very positive on Steam. Um, yeah, this sounds interesting. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, this is the kind of game where back in the days, the original version of our podcast, I feel like maybe that you wouldn't have... I don't know if this is necessarily a Corey game, but I feel like you probably would have picked up on the political stuff and we could have talked for like an hour about all the different political ramifications and how we had parallels in our real life or something, right? Like, I feel like we would have had that kind of discussion. Um, so I'm, I'm into it so far. I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. And I, you know, I love games that have something to say, and I definitely feel like this one has something to say. So um, I'm going to go and play a couple more runs and I will report back probably next week. Corey, check it out if it drops on sale. Maybe we can talk about it over DM or something. Um, but so far, I definitely like it. My son loves it, and that's a pretty good endorsement right there. So there you go. All right, folks, that is a show. As always, thank you for listening. And as you know, we'd love to get your questions and comments. Hit us up 
SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at SoVideoGames. But you can reach us individually. Corey, uh, where can we direct your traffic? And would you like us to direct your traffic? Uh, sure. If anybody wants to find me, um, I am on both Twitter and Instagram. My username is my first and last name, Corey Motley. C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. My, this is the first time it says on the podcast, but my Twitter, I've actually had private for about a year. Um, however, if you like, I don't know, love what I'm saying, which... Uh, who who would um and you want to follow me on twitter uh, you can send me a request maybe send me a message if you want and just say like hey i listen to the podcast um my twitter is private originally because i was job hunting but also because i did not want my ex-boyfriend stalking me on twitter so that's a fun slice of life um but i'm still pretty active over there it's just private now and i probably will not make it public anytime soon but you can find me there instagram uh, open to the masses, whatever. I don't care what anybody sees on my Instagram, but they're both Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. As for me, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, it's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And this is going to do it for episode 280. Again, thank you all for joining us here on the Soviet Games podcast, and I will see you next week. Corey will not be here next week, but hopefully Carlos will be back next week. Um, if he has healed if he <laughs> is whole if he is feeling better and if his manhood is intact he'll be back next week so i'll see you next week Corey. i don't know when we're going to see you again but i'm sure we'll see you again sometime in the future i'm always around you know anytime uh anytime you're gonna have me on just let me know i will definitely do that all right well that is a that is a guarantee the next time we have an empty seat because carlos is sex tourism <laughs> we will call you right back all right Thank you for being here, man. I really appreciate you pinch hitting. Um, so for Soviet Games, this is Bye from Brad and, and Bye from Corey. Thanks for having me this week.